Hello and welcome to the AA Ireland podcast and the final episode of this series. I'm Paddy Common. And I'm Anna Collin. Have you ever considered buying a classic car? Well, in this episode, we speak to expert David Golding of David Golding Classic Cars about buying and running a classic car. AA membership comes with lots of great benefits. Breakdown service 365 days a year, so you'll never be left stranded. Roadside rescue, we won't just tow your car, we fix 8 out of 10 at the roadside. Our personal cover means you're covered in any car, even when you're not the driver. Home start, cover when you're at home. Perfect if your car has been lying idle for a while. To find out more, go to the AA.ie. So this week on the AA Ireland podcast, we're talking all things classic cars, and I'm delighted to be in the showroom of David Golding Classic Cars. And David, we're surrounded by some fabulous cars here. First of all, thank you for joining us. And secondly, tell us, you know, how you got into this world. Thank you for having me, Paddy. Um, well, I started in business in 1988, but I suppose I grew up from a very young age, always interested in cars. I think I knew all the makes of cars when I was about three years of age, back in the, the 60s. Um, and just, it, it developed from there, I suppose I was fated to end up doing what I'm doing. And I'm enjoying it more and more as time passes on. So, so when has David, when did David Golding Cars start up? How long are you in business? Well, so I opened in, originally in 1988 and I had a little place down in Renla and selling very much the same cars as I'm selling today, except they, they wouldn't have been classics back then. They were the MGBs and whatever that were, you know, secondhand cars at the time. So, so look, obviously, you know, we're here to talk about classic cars and, you know, we are assuming nothing here. For people who kind of have the notion, oh, I wouldn't mind getting an old car, wouldn't mind getting a classic car. Where do you start? Well, it's, it's really something you want. I mean, obviously, there's factors that determine the affordability of running a classic car. Um, for example, when a car reaches 30 years old, it qualifies for the 56 euro road tax, which can be a very big thing for people. Obviously, if you have you know a large engine Mercedes that's not 30 years old, it can be costing you up to two and a half thousand in road tax. Um, though once the, the, the magic age hits in, it's down to 56 euro. So that's a big factor. Other factors are the insurance, um, classic insurance cuts in at 20 years old so that allows people to have a second car to use occasionally for a limited mileage I must say that's something I didn't know about 20 years old actually that's so 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 the car doesn't have to be people probably assume that it has to be 30 years old for everything obviously for the cheaper exactly exactly the the definition of classic car is very much open to debate but the factors that you know from a business point of view is obviously once it reaches zero two or older qualifies for the classic insurance which is a big factor for somebody who wants a second car otherwise you're going to end up paying a full new insurance premium and um, you have no bonus to carry over on a private policy, so that can be expensive. So once the classic insurance cuts in, it opens the doors for, for zero, two or older. And say the classic tax is, um, at the moment, it's 92 and older, 56 euro. And the third factor is um, they become NCT exempt at 40 years and older. Now, again, personally, I recommend people do their NCT even after the 40 years. I mean, for 55 quid, you get your car fully professionally tested and um, at least you know where you stand with it. So, so, uh, so when you say you, you don't have to do it, will you not? get notifications after it's 40 years they um, no once it's 40 years it's exempt that's it, it reaches now there are there are people I believe this the oldest car I think it's probably featured on your website at some stage was it 1910 or something going in for an NCT I mean there's still people 
you know, want their cars tested and want to have the certificate, and you know, it's a good way of keeping. Well, it is a good idea to, to you know, it's a good way of getting your car checked over. Exactly. exactly, yeah, and especially now, I mean, the biggest dangers of classic cars are really fuel related at the moment. With the, the ethanol and the petrol is attacking the older rubber hoses that didn't meet the standards that are required today, and people park their cars up all winter, little knowing that their rubber is rotting away. And I've heard of a DB6 going on fire in the last few weeks, destroyed, no insurance, so it can What's be very, your, very expensive. Just as a slight diversion, what's your view on, on this E10 petrol? It's, it's only going to make matters worse. I mean, that's going to affect fuel injection systems as well, I think. Because it, was, it, was, it wasn't something that was necessarily on my radar, but suddenly all, um, there's been a lot of discussion about E10 and the fact that it's going to be quite widespread and brought in. So what does it do to older cars? It, it seems to be, you know, causing problems in England on a much wider scale than here. The E10 is even more corrosive on rubber than the E5. So I believe there's additives that you can put into it that neutralise the effect and, you know, just people need to be aware of the dangers because it is a real, real danger at the moment of, of your car going up and fire. So look, uh, you know, obviously we are, there's a, there's a variety of cars in front of me here. I'm looking at a Lotus Elan, I'm looking at a Citroen DS, lovely Volvo Estate, something I, I particularly like myself. I, I know it's just kind of how long is a piece of string, but if you were, you know, advising a relative or a close friend about getting into classic cars, where would you tell them to start? It, it has to be something you personally want. I mean, okay, look, different people have different motives for buying a car. It's a very good place to park money if if that's what you want to do. Um, you know, and you, you have a, a large lump sum some large sum of cash um, you know classic car a great place to park it if, if you're a private individual you can buy and sell them and there's no capital gains tax involved so there's a lot of people in this country who have some extraordinarily expensive cars some, some of the most expensive in the world can be found here running into tens of millions of quid and th- that's one end of the market um, so that you'd be looking at a car that's going to make you a few quid along the way otherwise I mean the most popular cars in this country at the moment are probably Toyotas Old Starlets, Carinas, Corollas, stuff like that. Huge interest in them. Um, Obviously the Mazda MX-5 recently. The the MX-5s are are taking off a bit as well. But the the, the most popular car I've had on my Facebook page, believe it or not, has been a rear-wheel drive Toyota Starlet that achieved something like 110,000 views in, in a couple of days, which... You know, as what is it about Ireland and and they always all Toyotas? I it's, we, it's, it's, we're a very individual market here, and I think especially even outside Dublin, it's 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 even more sort of localized. People here, it, it's cars of the people here that appeal have the widespread appeal. So in the past, it would have been Volkswagen Beetles, then the Ford Escort Mark Ones and Marks two, Mark Twos would have got the greatest interest, and now now it's Toyota Starlet or Corolla or Carina. It's just incredible that which would have been cars that you know for people's a certain, family had. Yeah, they were and, everywhere. And this, this is the thing: people spent you know their childhood in the back seat of one touring around the country or whatever boiling, and when they got older with no air conditioning yeah yeah and then when they got older it would have been their first car and it's like and you know they would have been the most popular cars back back in a certain time so that's what appeals to, to, to a lot of people other people want to get cars they could never normally afford I mean I'm looking here at a 300 SL 24 valve Mercedes 1990 Um I'm not sure how much that one was new, but a 500 version of that in 1990 was 104,000 punts. It was dearer than a four-bedroom house. And now you can buy these at a fraction of that cost and have the cheap running costs. So, you know, that they're a very, very good seller for that reason. That they're sort of a very, you know, mid-price car that's very, very usable. Hop into and tour the country in. Power steering automatic. Um, so they're a very, very, very good seller. Other people, you know, Porsches would be very popular of, of all, all models. Um, Sorry, so, yeah, it's a, it's a 911 that's actually behind you as well. a couple of 911s here. 
Um, so so yeah, it's a 911 under the, the, the corner, 73 one. So it's, it's really, it's, it's down to personal choice. So I suppose, you know, the main factor is then a car that had some emotional connection to you in your, in your youth um, or childhood or some family member had, you know, I, I'm always very, you know, fondly reminisce about my grandfather's cars. And to this day, I, I recently, he, he always drove a Wolseley and I recently purchased a Wolseley probably just for that very reason, um, that, that he'd had a similar car back in the 60s. Do you find that, 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 you know, from your customers, what percentage of them are buying for emotive reasons rather than anything else? Uh, it's, it's, it's very hard to, to, to break it down. Um, there must be it must be a like big the, factor, though. Then the other the other sort of category is as a collector, as such people who have to have a, a car and would have maybe several and want another one, and they sort of want you know they they'd have a series of of of, of models, so they they're looking for something you know really good condition at a good price. Um, but I suppose people's first car generally when they're starting the classic world is something they have some sort of emotive attachment to. You know, and, and as the age profile of people are getting higher, like the Dublin registered Morris Minor out there, again, something I'd be very, you know, familiar with growing up. It would have been a very popular car in Dublin, obviously, in the, in the late 60s, early 70s. And in fact, that car was only, it was built in Rathmines in the Britain's factory near the bridge there, um, which, you know, it was recent for me. I have to have it. All the cars I probably buy for myself first and foremost. And you know. So do you tend to sell what you like yourself. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's some makes and models. I'm not a Ford man at all. You'd never see a Ford down here. People think I'm mad, not, you know, when I turn them down, but I never had any affinity to Fords and, okay, I've had the odd Anglia or two, but that's purely because I'm into, the, I like the old 60s cars. Um, so basically what I sell is what I like and I always feel that if something for some reason, you no, know, doesn't sell, I'll, I can use it myself. Obviously I can only drive one at a time, but I'd enjoy driving every single car I'd, I'd have in stock at the moment and, what are your, what are your own personal favourites in terms of cars? I love big engines, the bigger the better. I love twelve cylinder cars, um, E type Jags, XJSs, anything that kills the atmosphere <laughs> <laughs> has a bit of grunt and a bit yeah, of muscle. yeah yeah I'd, um, yeah yeah. No, I just I, lo- I love engineering, but I love the older cars as well. I love cars in the twenties and thirties. I'm I'm fascinated by the early engineering that was you know developing as people were driving back in the the heyday of of motoring back in 100 years ago and obviously you know you know there is the, the 30 year rule and that helps of course but there's that period and uh, you know as an aside i kind of wonder are we likely to lose some future classics now because of the way rotax is i'm thinking things like lexus etc which are you know interesting cars big engines but are possibly dying out because their tax is too big now well it's amazing to see because obviously, you know, once cars got to a certain age, the road tax was, was probably costing more than the car's value. I mean, I've, I've a couple of big engines, more modern cars up in my other yard, um, like a CL420 Mercedes 97. And the fact that that car is still around and someone has kept it, OK, was probably declared off the road for six or seven years. But up to then, somebody was paying the road tax on it every year, keeping it maintained, resulting in a car that's, you know, still in really good condition which would be exceptional for a 90s car because most of them would have been scrapped purely because the road tax got too high and the values have only started to go back up again now. So it's not really the road tax, I think, that's going to determine the future and what cars are going to be classic, if you like. I think the technology is very much um, to the fore. I mean, even now we're looking at, you know, 10-year-old hybrid cars that are giving problems. I don't, I, I can't see a hybrid or an electric car being a classic. Being a classic, I just think, you know, to me personally, the character's gone when the engine's gone. I was going to say, I was going to ask, in relation to this new trend of 
putting cl- electric powertrains into classic cars. How, how do you feel about I was that? just having that discussion with someone this morning. I just cannot understand somebody who'll pay hundreds of thousands of quid to get an electric unit put into an E-type Jag. Like, why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, they, I suppose they would argue, look, it, uh, they can use it as an everyday, that it's it's going to work uh, and it doesn't cost them much money, but to run. I, I just I, I just can't see it. I just can't see. And to me, once cars have gone electric, they've become like a, like a fridge. You know, they're, they're just another appliance and a mode of transport from A to B. I mean, you know, even driving the modern cars today, the driving has gone out of them. Your, your, your adaptive cruise control and your, your lane... Assist. Assist and steering the wheel for you. You can literally close your eyes. and Okay, you're getting from A to B in comfort, but it's not, it's not motoring. You know, it's Are, not as we knew it. So obviously, um, someone getting these, a lot of the customers you, who come to you will use these as extra cars, have them at weekends, etc. Um, are there cars that you could practically use every day? The, the issue is determined by the insurance. It's, it's almost impossible to get a standalone classic car policy for a car. Um, you know, an older car, if you don't have a modern equivalent, that's the main criteria for the classic insurance. So if you don't have a modern car, um, you won't get covered. That's something that probably happened about 10 years ago. There are a lot of people buying old one, two, three Mercedes and, you know, using them every day. They were exempt from NCT, literally driving them into the ground and it was their daily driver and the 56 euro road tax, you know, and they were obviously, you know, they're, they're polluting cars as well. So, um, yeah, yeah. So look, while it'd be nice to have it every day, I really can't see it. I mean, the likes of the likes of the you know the 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 one two nine Mercedes range, the, the two seater convertibles, they're eminently suitable for use every day. They've hard tops, soft tops, um, but again, you know, it wouldn't be as fuel efficient as a modern car. It might be a factor for people. But in a two car family, and you you have your new family seven seater, and the second car is a Volvo Estate that I'm looking at here. Would that be a car you could it, use it, every day? It would certainly be very practical. Um, I mean, there are people, a lot of people, you know, not a lot of people, but there are people who, who would keep a car in their holiday home for when they're in their holiday home. And that would be something like a Volvo stage would be useful for them while they're in the wilds of Connemara or, or wherever. Um, so that, that's another category of buyer. But, it, just, but, you, but there just, seems to be practical reasons yeah, why you the, can't. The, 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 there's, a, there's a very, very small minority of people who want to use their classic every day. I mean, most people, you know, a lot of people buy them and they treasure them and cherish them and everything else. And using a car every day, you know, it's very hard to... When you're parking in shopping centres and people are rolling trolleys into them and everything like that, it's you know if you have a nice car, it would be very hard to keep it in in brilliant condition if you're using it as a daily driver in all weathers. So. so, talk to me a little bit about the maintenance and upkeep. So, if you buy your your reasonably, you know, obviously cars coming out from you are in good condition already. They've had they've been serviced, etc. What can someone expect in terms of upkeep? Look, it's it's always. Buy the very best you can afford because there's no such thing as a bargain classic car. If they haven't been maintained, you're going to end up with big bills. You know, cars coming out of England, I've, I've a Porsche 944 just arrived yesterday. There's 161,000 miles on a 1989 car, um, but it doesn't feel like it. It had one lady owner for the first 150 odd thousand of those miles and full service history. And it's the, I've had lots of 944s, they a very good seller. This is by far one of the best drivers Drove it down to the NCT in Arklow last night and it passed first time. I didn't even check it before I went because I was so confident it was going to pass. And um, so that's the key thing because it just it came with a thick file. There's the file of the car over there and the handbooks. So you can see uh, the, Eng- the English people, 
It's a car here, no? The car's not actually here, no. It's just up at the Valeters now today. But that's a typical English car that comes with a history file like that. All the service stamps up to date in the book, even though the car is over 30 years old, they kept bringing it in for service and keeping all the invoices. And you know you're getting a good car when you get something like that. On the other hand, you get an Irish car. um, You know, the Citroen DS, we'll talk about that while while you're here. This is a one family owned car. Dublin car, 1973. It's been owned by a father and son from day one. So is that the original Irish Reg? That's the original Irish Reg. Very, very unusual. And it's a DS23, just incidentally, which would have been very rare in its day because that would have um, fallen into the higher motor tax category. Again, here we are talking about tax back in the 70s. So, but that car does not have an early history. They never kept the handbooks, never kept the invoices. Typical with an Irish car. You know, people never left their book in to be stamped in the main dealers. It's just the mentality We'd be very different to the British in that regard. I'm not saying the British cars are are obviously much more prone to rust because they use salt on the roads where the Irish cars didn't. So, you know, that's the main... If you're going to talk between Irish cars and UK cars, that would be the big difference. One would have the service history, the other would be a lot more solid. Yeah, I mean, I I had the experience myself. I bought an E30 BMW from from the UK and... I couldn't get over how well it had been maintained. The yeah. car was amazing and all of the service history is just immaculate. You know, and here as well, I mean, I was looking at a car yesterday. Um, I won't say what it was, but it was a very expensive Mercedes going back to the 50s, being fully restored here using top people, but not a single receipt. Because again, Irish mentality, well, let's get it done for cash. You know, save the 13.5% fat. And again, you'll find that's very widespread, unfortunately, where when you go to sell that car, there's big gaps in it, you know. English cars, they wouldn't, you know, most English people would be old school English people anyway, you know, totally upfront, want receipts for everything, happily pay their tax, keep the receipts, and resulting in, in a proper history file that somebody can see what was done to the car over the years. So, you know, for me, that's very important to have the history file. I can lose a sale over a car not having a proper history. And I always tell people when they're trying to sell them to me or whatever, you know, they look at me strange sometimes and say, but where's the paperwork? And they're saying, it's a really good car. I said, yeah, no, but I need the paperwork. And that's, that's very important to me. Um, so that's what I'd say to people as well. You know, get, get a car with, with full history that's been kept up to date. It, it will cost you more, but it pays in the long term. And I know it's difficult for someone who you know, makes a business from selling cars, but are there ever situations where you say to people, look, this isn't really the car for you? I get people down. I mean, I had a family of three came to look at this two-seater Mercedes the other week, and I knew, I didn't know there was going to be a child involved, but I mean, I knew as soon as they came down, they were going to be, you know, not going to be buying. So I get told people down. I always say, well, you know, they'd ring me up on the phone, will I fit in the car? I'll always say to them, come down. Older cars, much smaller. I don't know if people were smaller back in the the older days, but a lot of the times people can genuinely not fit in, in a 60s sports car. So, But I always say to them, try it. It's not for me to tell them they can't fit. I, I know it's difficult to choose favourites. It's like picking you know, your favourite child, but if do you have favourite classics I, that you like? I, I, people to ask me this question all the time. I love them all. If there's four wheels and noise, but and you're smell, not a Ford, guy. or even two, or even two wheels. Well, as I said, I, I, I don't buy and sell Fords because I just don't have the the grow. But I wouldn't, you know, I'd, I'd still like it, appreciate an old. Yesterday or last week, a fellow came up to me in an old three liter Granada, Mark One Granada, and my jaw just dropped. I mean, it it, it was just incredible. Very rare car to have and the condition of it and again brings back memories remember a friend's father had one back back in the 70s but possibly I might own something like that um, but I never I never got the thing with the Mark II Escorts and it's probably the same a bit like with the Starlets today I just can't see how, how a Starlet's worth tens of thousands of quid but people are paying them so 
Uh, how is the classic car scene in Ireland? I mean, is it is it developed? It's, it's very. It, it's absolutely huge. I mean, I, I've been doing. You know, the classics probably have become a large part of my business now for ten years. And before that, I'd always have one or two. There'd be things I'd be, I'd, be, I'd have myself, and I'd sell them and replace them. But I mean, I've been keeping a stock of classics for ten years, and in that time, the market has just mushroomed. It's, it's really phenomenal. Uh, COVID was a major, major factor. My busiest two years were, were the COVID years because people were sitting at home with nothing to do. A lot of them probably had posters of cars on their walls when they were kids, and they're sitting at home, bored, stupid. Um, few quid coming in that they weren't able to spend, and a lot of them spent it on classic cars. So that, that's that been a major boost to the business. Um, well, which is great to hear. And the, sh- the show scene is phenomenal. I mean, there used to be a handful of, of shows, you know, attended by the same old school people and the same cars. And now, like every Sunday... And Saturday, a lot of Saturdays as well. Evening during, evenings during the week, there's there's meetings and and dozens of them all over the country. So we've no matter, lost Terran Euro, which is Terran Euro was a big big blow. Um, I know I know Tom Heavey started a new show in Galway last week, which I believe went really well. And it's a bit a bit far from for Dublin people to go for a day. But look, you just move on. There's there's so many different shows. Terran Euro was an old style show becoming less popular because people had to, you know, book in advance. If you're, if you're exhibiting, you're there all day. Crowds were humongous. The access in and out, obviously difficult when there's, I think there was 13,000 or 1,300 cars at the last Terranure show. So it's it's a big day and a big commitment, especially if you came up from the country. Um, so and a huge organisation. I mean, you have to give hats off to the organisers because the, the organisation involved in that show was just phenomenal. Um, and, you know, the people are getting older. There's no new people coming in to take over. So... The, the 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 most popular shows now are the cars and coffee type events where you rock up to an empty car park somewhere and kick tires for half an hour an hour an hour and a half whatever have a coffee and go home and there's no no obligation to stay and it's totally funny, informal. I, like, I love going to those but people who don't understand them think it's really odd but it's, it's well, a great, as I great say, thing. Well, there's different events for different people and that's why these men, these events are, are, are mushrooming because you know there's still people like the old static shows other people like to go to runs where the cars are actually you know they're driving their cars and. Um, you know, there's displays of cheap cars. There's a display. There's a show in Herbert Park a couple of weeks ago. Really, really expensive cars. There was no shortage of, of like you know, million million pound or million euro plus cars there. So it depends what what your you know what your interest is. Um, you know, there's this was this, this one model only shows. There's Volkswagen shows up the north. Huge attendances of them. Toyota events and stuff like that. So look, there's there's a show for everybody. Whether you're just a viewer or a car owner, and if, you know, there's people who who spend every weekend going to different shows. That's their their lifestyle. And, um, and then there's other people who have classic cars who wouldn't dream of going to a show. It's their own private, you know, little toy, and they keep it to themselves. Nobody else knows they have it. And some people don't even drive them. They just sit and look at them and polish them. And So, uh, so look, obviously we, we, we need to talk about cost because, you know, people don't who, who don't know the scene don't know roughly how much you need to spend. If we were to kind of give me a guide about some different cars, what's an entry well, point, a safe entry point? The, the first thing that's common to all cars, whether it costs you a million quid or it's costing you a thousand quid, is, is let's say, the road tax. That's a key thing. So that's 56 euro. Classic insurance can be 200 euro or less. So you can have a car sitting outside your house for a year for 256 quid. Right, so, so can you just give us an idea of the conditions with that? So though? as I said earlier, the conditions for the insurance, the main thing is that you have an everyday driver. And but would there be mileage there's restrictions? There's mileage restrictions. Now, look, 3,000 kilometres, 5,000 kilometres, you pick and choose and pay accordingly. But, you know, the vast majority of cars, especially people who have 
um, several cars. You know, you can only drive one car at a time, which is why the insurance is so cheap. Um, you can only drive one car at a time. And, you know, a lot of the cars wouldn't even do a thousand kilometers a year. So, so yeah, so, so that, that's, uh, that, that's the key thing to get out of the way. OK, you've got the NCT every two years. That's a bonus. When a car gets to 30 years old, instead of being an annual NCT, it becomes biannual. So you get two years NCT for 55 euro. Again, I can't stress how important it is to get the, to get your NCT done because the likes of these fuel leaks, unless you've got a ramp yourself and you're checking, they can spot them for you and spot your rust. And, and you know, cars can be dangerous if they're not maintained. People don't appreciate that. So they're, they're your overheads for the year after that it's what your budget will allow you to you can get a very nice car for a thousand quid it mightn't be you know just to get you up and running could you um, really yeah, yeah you'd route around that's you know you could start getting something at that sort of value it might it might be something fairly mundane to most people but it could be something special for but you for, but for someone with five thousand with five thousand okay, you, 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 my, my range starts i would never have anything really less than ten thousand and you'd be looking then at, um, you know, Mercedes 190Es, stuff like that. That's, you know, they're obviously 30 years old, but they don't, the condition is key. You will get very bad condition versions of the cars I'm selling for a lot less money. I mean, people comment on my posts on Facebook, God, oh, that's mad dear. But you get what you pay for, you know. And a lot of people, it's having the car. They're not really into the condition. They couldn't care less. They'd rather have a banger. I did have, I remember I had an old, like the, like the red Mercedes down the end, the 107, the 280 SL. I bought one of those on eBay years ago while I was on holiday. Probably had a glass of wine or two too much. And when it was delivered back to the house, I opened the boot and there was no boot floor. It was so rotten. Now, it only cost me a couple of thousand and I was happy just to stick it up and done deal and get it. It was beyond restoration as far as I was concerned. So I stuck it up and done deal. I got my 2,000 euro back from a chap in Galway and he was just delighted that he could get the car of his dreams. You know, he'd seen it on Heart to Heart and Dallas and all these, you know, programs of the era where it was cult car and he got one for 2,000 quid. Yeah, but how much did he spend on it? Well, he's only going to drive around a local curry or something. He, he wasn't bothered. It was the having it. You know, he's somebody who wanted to have one. So again, very that's large the difference. Dinky, I mean, that yeah. particular particular one in, in top condition is 35,000. You won't get one for 2,000 a day because, I mean, that was probably going back 10 years ago. But of course, it's different if you're handy. And, and for people who don't know that, the that's, Spanners. That's another reason why people buy them. I mean, I had I had a Ferrari Testarossa last year. Um, the chap purely bought it because it needed repair. And he wanted, he wasn't a mechanic, but he was a very, very skilled man. And he dropped the 12-cylinder engine out of it and rebuilt it himself. He was multilingual. He was able to call people all over Europe and get advice how to do it and source all the parts. And when he finished the car, he did one mile and, and handed me the keys and said, it's for you to run in now and sell it for me, please. No interest in driving it. He just wanted to get involved in the engineering of, of a, a flat 12 Ferrari engine. That's very interesting. So that, that's another. And, and I come across people like that from time to time just want to work on them and have the you know the kudos of I built a Ferrari engine well it's quite an achievement so it is it was a phenomenal achievement it took them 10 years but um, well it's between having getting the car sourcing the parts and I suppose build, building up ahead of steam to get stuck into it but what I suppose I mean is that for, for some people they don't want the bother they want to get they want the classic car experience but they haven't a notion what's going underneath so that's where spending a so that's where I'd suggest buy, buy a car you know buy a car from a dealer or at the very least, get it properly checked out. When I say get it checked out, you need somebody who knows what they're looking at. You know, a modern mechanic would not have a clue about a 30-year-old car, um, a, young, a younger mechanic. So you need to get an old-school person who'd worked on these cars in the past, knows their weak points or whatever. So that, that's important if you're buying privately. Um, 
and then to know what, you know, okay, the car might, might have issues, but at least you know what they are. And then you can either, you know, get stuck into them yourself or pay someone to fix them. But you don't want to buy a car online in England like a lot of people are doing. Um, having it shipped over here and the first time you actually sit in it is when it arrives in your door and you don't know what's hitting you. I mean, there's horror stories out there. You know, the rust in England is horrendous. The big, the big thing here is having an NCT test on the car. You've got to have... I, I won't sell a car without an NCT. I won't buy a car without an NCT. You don't know what you're getting into. A car can have all the English MOTs on paper in a bag with the car. But unless scrupulous people in England, you know, the MOTs are done privately. Their local garage could be doing them. Heads get turned, brown paper bags change hands. So finally, David, you know, if people want to get in touch with you, how do they do that? Well, I've, I've, funny enough, things have changed over the last couple of years. I mean, the websites are still there, davidgoldencars.ie. But the big thing now is is um, social media, Facebook and, and Instagram, um, David Golden Cars page on both Facebook and Instagram. And I find a lot of the times now I put a picture of a car up on, on either Facebook or Instagram and it's sold within a couple of hours. It doesn't hours. make the web page. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, just, it's become a new phenomenon. Um, I think social media has taken over. You know, during COVID, obviously, we'd know car shows. A lot of people in the past... You know, went to the likes of the NEC Classic Car Show, which is the big one in England every year. Um, no, I had no intention of buying a car. See something, impulse buy, came home on it. And that, that was missing now since COVID. So fa- Facebook, in a way, has taken over from that. You're not, you know, if, you're, if you specifically want a car, you get onto a website, you get onto Dundeal, you get onto CarZone, you get onto my own website and see what I have in stock and if I got what you're looking for. But that's only one category of buyer. So the new category of buyer are these impulse buyers. They're sitting having... A cup of coffee at home or at work or whatever. Or the glass flick of wine. On, or the glass of wine, even, even better, the whiskey. <laughs> Put on, you know, flick through Facebook, see something. I want that. And there and then they've decided they want it. So it's taken over, you know, the impulse buy, if you like, in a way from, from seeing something at a car show. And that's, you know, for me, it's been absolutely fabulous the last couple of years. And do you source cars for people or is that not something I, It's do? not really getting involved in. It's very messy getting, I mean, I, I've stopped. I, I used to go to the UK two, three times a month pre, pre-COVID and Brexit. Um haven't been now um, since you know, I think March March 2020 was that the beginning for the last track of time beginning of COVID so I don't I, I wouldn't go and buy something for somebody unless I'd seen it no matter how trustworthy the seller may be or whatever if somebody else's money I'd want to, to be there so I don't really get involved in that what I do do though is I do a lot of commission sales for people now and um, that's become a major part of my business where I'll sell your car for you it's sort of it's an idea I've had for many years and it's only taking off now I mean an, an estate agent buys and sells your house but he doesn't actually buy it off you. And I always thought, why can't you, you know, do that with a car? As I said to the SL, it was 104,000. Why should I have to buy that in and sell it on? Actually own it. So now I, I try and avoid owning them if I can. I obviously have my own probably 20 cars, but a lot of the dearer stuff I'm taking on a commission basis and I happily sell them for people, again, providing they meet the condition criteria I'm looking for. Well, David, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. And uh, thank you for giving us a a beautiful tour of the the workshop here. And now I definitely want to see that Volvo. (laughs) Thank you, Patrick. Lots of food for thought on buying a classic there, Paddy. As always, you can read more on all things motoring on the AA Ireland blog, the aa.ie forward slash blog. And you will, of course, find us on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook and TikTok. Please subscribe to the podcast, rate it if you like it. And until next time, goodbye and be safe.